And we're kicking off a new series here on emotions. That, that what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks is doing emotions well. Lessons from the Psalms. So I want to ask you, how well do you handle your emotions? How well do you handle your emotions? Do your emotions improve the lives of the people around you? Or do they make them harder? Do your emotions bring you closer to God or farther away? Now, I, I wanted to do this series because I've noticed something. After a lot of years in ministry, a lot of sitting down and talking with people and watching people in their lives and their relationship, I've noticed one consistent thing, and it's this. How we handle our emotions has a direct impact on the quality of our lives, relationships, careers, and faith. Let me say this again. How we handle our relationships has a direct impact on the quality of our lives, relationships, careers, and faith. Now, in the psychology community, this is called emotional intelligence. And this premise really forms the foundation of this series, why we're, why we're going to spend five weeks talking about emotions, because they matter. Our emotions affect the quality of our lives, relationships, careers, and faith, and they matter. And so when I thought about how to teach about emotions, there was one book in the Bible that I had to go to for this, and this is Psalms. Because the book of Psalms is filled with raw emotion. And that's part of why I liked this song. Because it is filled with raw emotion. And I think this might be kind of like if Psalms were written today, it would include stuff like that. That, that the, the Psalms are filled with gut-level emotions just poured out onto the page. And so over the next five weeks... We're going to look at five core emotions, five foundational emotions, sadness, happiness, regret, anger, and fear. Now, these might sound familiar if you happen to watch a certain Disney movie in recent history who, for copyright reasons, I can't say the name, but I will say the first word of the title is inside and the last word of the title is out. <laughs> but but the, yeah, that movie is based on the psychological research of the core emotions. And so we're going to look at five core emotions. And what's amazing is Psalms deals with all of them. And so that's why we're going to spend, we're going to spend five weeks in this book of Psalms. So this week we're going to start with sadness. We're going to start with sadness. Now, I, I'll have a, I have a little confession for you. I don't do sadness really well. I like happiness. That's next week. Okay? I like happiness. I actually had Pharrell's song have, on, as a ringtone for a while. Like, that's how much I like happiness. Okay? I don't do sadness well. And this, this became painfully clear to me. I didn't really know this until a while back, uh, about seven years ago, my mom passed away. Um, from complications from a, a very significant surgery, and she didn't make it. Um, and obviously, losing your mom young is hard. But you know, the truth is, I didn't 
grieve a whole lot. I was sad, but I can't say I cried much. I, I missed her, but I, don't, I, I can't say that I really allowed myself to feel the depth of how much I missed her. Um, in fact, I even did her funeral. So not only did we have to plan f for everything, but I actually ended up doing the funeral because we, we sort of joke that, that I'm the only pastor my family has, and so <laughs> I did it. And then in the months to come, I just sort of went on with life. And in looking back, I've, I've come to, to admit that I did not handle my mom's death really well because I didn't allow myself to feel the depth of sadness. Most of the time I just ignored it. So how about you? How well do you deal with sadness? What does sadness look like in your lives? Now, before I continue, I, I'm going to get on to some other stuff, but before I do that, I, I want to take just a, a really brief moment and talk about the difference between sadness and depression. Okay, between sadness and depression. And I really liked uh, this explanation that I found out of a, an issue of psychology today. And I, I, I got it up on screen as well, and I want to read it to you. Okay? Sadness is a normal human emotion triggered by a difficult, hurtful, or disappointing experience or situation. In other words, we tend to feel sad about something. Okay? That's sadness. Now, let me read about depression from this same article. Depression is an abnormal emotion that affects our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors in, a, in pervasive ways. When we are depressed, we feel sad about everything. This is a really important distinction because I think a lot of people who have depression have kind of been called by their friends and their family that they're just really sad. But it's really important to know that depression is not just a bigger version of sadness. Depression is fundamentally different. And if you feel like you might be depressed, where, where your sadness, you can't connect your sadness to a specific circumstance, and it pervades everything going on in your life right now, and you're just not sure what to do, I would encourage you to do two things. First, learn about depression. Just Google it. There are some great resources out there where you can learn a little bit about what depression is because it's not just a bigger version of sadness. And then the other thing is talk to someone you trust. Find someone, a, a family member, a friend, someone you trust, and talk to them and say, you know what? I've been reading this stuff online, and I think I might be depressed. Um, so I, I, and I just wanted to say that. Today, we're just going to talk about sadness. Depression is kind of a bigger, more complex, it's a longer-term thing. But for us, for today, I just want to talk about sadness. So I admitted to you guys that I don't really do sadness really well. Um, I'm a lot better now than I was when my mom passed away. Uh, God's been gracious to grow me a lot in that. Um, but what about you? How well do you do sadness? I tend to see people do sadness in one of two ways and kind of think of these as the extremes. 
So on one hand, you've got people who just deny it, bury it, ignore it, and go on with life. Those are the ones who, say, who will say things like, everything's fine. I'm not sad. And sometimes you'll work really hard to put on a good front, a good face for everyone, because you've got family that depends on you, you've got a job you have to go to, so you just deny the sadness. Now, on the other side are the people who will kind of let sadness overwhelm them. And where, where when something happens, you start to get sad over it. It just becomes overwhelming. And it kind of crushes you. And, and you go really dark and you wallow. You let the darkness take over and you start, you go all emo and dress in black and all. Okay. Then, so think of those two extremes. Me, seven years ago, definitely over here. I, I'm a little bit toward the middle. Um, thankfully, I haven't jumped the line to go over there. So, okay. So where would you place yourself? From one extreme of ignoring sadness to another extreme of letting it just overwhelm you. Where would you place yourself? Now, neither of those are great ways to deal with sadness. Neither of those are healthy, productive ways. So if those don't work, what does? If that's not a great solution, then that's not a great solution. Then how should we deal with sadness? How should we deal with sadness? Well, I'm really glad we don't have to answer that question. Because God, in his grace, gave us an entire book of the Bible filled with sadness and filled with deep emotions. It's um, so so a, a little bit about the book of Psalms. Psalms is a book of Hebrew poetry. Right? And that's really important. These are not historical accounts. These are not letters to churches. No, these are poetry. And, and if you've read any poetry, you know reading poetry is different than reading USA Today. Okay? Poetry, just like the book of Psalms, it uses metaphors and symbols and exaggerated language. Really flowery, flowing language. That's what poetry does. So does the Psalms. Okay? And the Psalms are meant for the heart. They aren't meant for the head. Psalms are not meant to teach you doctrine. Psalms are meant to give your heart a voice. Because there were authors over hundreds of years through the inspiration of God. They, lay, they let their hearts have a voice and put them on paper. And there's one particular set of psalms. Psalms have different categories. There are different types of psalms. And there's one type that captures sadness wonderfully. They're called lament psalms. That's kind of the official name of it, lament psalms. And in fact, they're the most common psalm in the entire book of Psalms. There are 150 chapters in the book of Psalms. 60 of them are classified under this category of lament psalms. In other words, 60 of them talk about directly about sadness and sorrow. Right. So you think God's saying it's okay for us to talk about our sadness I think so. I think so. And, and these, these lament psalms give us an incredible picture of how to do sadness 
well. My guess is in your life, you've got plenty of pictures about how to do sadness poorly. Plenty of models. But how about models of how to do sadness well? The Psalms gives us that, these lament psalms. So today we're going to actually talk, look at a lament psalm. And I'm going I'm to tell you a little bit about it. We're, we're going to enter, or we're going to allow our hearts to enter the heart of this author of 2,000, 2,500 years ago. Okay? And these lament psalms were typically written in times of illness, crisis, natural disaster, big, horrible things that happen in life. And some of you are in the middle of a big, horrible thing happening in life. And you need the lament psalms. Some of you are coming out of it. For some of you, it might be right around the corner. And you need the lament psalms. So today we're going to look at Psalm 13. Okay, if you like to follow along, you can pull out your phone, pull out your Bible. We're going to look at Psalm 13. It's a short psalm, just six verses, because I want to get you out of here in time for us to go, all go swimming. Okay? So it's, and it has this, this Psalm 13 has three sections in it, three sections. And we're going to look at each one, because each one plays a critical role in how to do sadness well. So it's got three sections. We're going to look at the first section, and all lament psalms have similar sections in them. And they'll often start with what's called a complaint. So let's read this author's complaint. So this is Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Can you hear the agony? How long, Lord? How long is this going to keep going on? And some of you are in a how long time right now. You might have even cried out that exact same thing. How long, Lord, is this thing going to keep going on in my life? You could hear the author's pain. You could hear his heart. How long, Lord? Um, and so he complains to God. How long, Lord? And that's a really critical component of this section. He complains to God. Okay, let's continue. There, there's, another, there's another verse in this complaint section. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Do you feel the ache? Do you feel the cry of his heart? Waiting day after day to, for resolution. Like, we don't know what the issue is, but there's clearly something going on and it's been going on for a while. And another note about Psalms, notice this comment, how long will my enemy triumph over me? So one of the characteristics of Psalms is that the authors often use enemy as a metaphor. They personify something going on in their life as their enemy. So this doesn't necessarily, in fact, it likely does not mean an actual person with a sword. Okay? 
that, that the, the author, again, metaphorical language, is using this sense that, that there is an enemy against me right now. How long is this going to keep going on? So that complaint section here, it gives us the first of what I'm going to call the essentials for doing sadness well. There are three essentials from this psalm, the essentials of doing sadness well. And the first one that this starts with is complain to God. Complain to God. When things go bad, we tend to complain to everybody else except God. We go to our friends because we'll get a sympathetic ear. We go to our family members so, so we'll think they'll cut us some slack. We go and complain to anyone who will listen because we want someone to validate us. But the model in Psalms over and over and over again is, you know what? Go complain to God. And you know the little secret? Trust He's big enough. He can handle it. He, he can handle your complaining. Right? So that's the first essential to doing sadness well, is complain to God. Now, it doesn't mean you can't go out to co with, for coffee with a friend. It doesn't mean you, you can't sit down and cry with a friend. No, that's not what this is about. But I think we, we're sometimes kind of afraid to complain to God because we have to keep our faith. Because what, what, does that mean we're like not a Christian now or like we don't believe in God? No, because you know what? Here's the amazing thing. If you didn't believe in God, you wouldn't complain to God. So in fact, complaining to God actually reaffirms your belief in him. It's the reverse what a lot of what a lot of us think. Okay? So, first essential to doing sadness well. Complain to God. Okay? Let's move to the next section of this psalm. It's verse 3. This one, this one we call the prayer for deliverance. So, excuse me, first was the complaint, and now the prayer for deliverance. Let's see what he says. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. Okay, so a, a little melodramatic, I know, but, but that's what poetry is. From a non-poetry person to poetry people, if you're poetry. Yeah, it's okay to be a little melodramatic in poetry. But do you hear that? Like, now he's calling on God for action. Okay, I've complained. I, I've poured my heart out. Now, God, it's time to act. Like, look at all those, those words in there. Look on me. Answer. Give light. Or I will sleep in death. So he's calling for God to act. And he's praying to God that God steps in. Okay. Now, incidentally, we also, with this section, we also get our first hint about what might be going on for this author. Because there's a little phrase in here that, honestly, like to most of us, we just read right over. But there's a little Hebrew metaphor in here that's a dead giveaway about what's going on with this poor guy. See that phrase, give light to my eyes? or I will sleep in death. Um, the ESV actually translates it a little, little better of lighten my eyes. And this is a Hebrew metaphor. It's like a little, uh, like a simile for, for a person's health. 
A healthy person has bright eyes. An unhealthy person has the, the light leaving from his eyes. So it, it's actually a pretty good guess that this person is sick and has been sick for a long time now. And it must be pretty serious because he's like, God, give light to my eyes. In other words, restore my health or I'm going to die. So it's very likely that this is some type of fatal long-term illness that this person is dealing with. And some of you have long-term illnesses you're fighting right now. And when left untreated, some of them can lead to death. So I think it's okay for you to say, how long, Lord? How long do I have to deal with this? Now is your time to act. A prayer of deliverance, which basically means deliver me, get me out of this problem. So let's move on because there's one more verse in the, the prayer of deliverance. Here it is. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Now here, there, there's that enemy language. And can you imagine personifying death? Big guy, pitch, like, like sickle, black cape. And, as, as, and he envisions death at his bed, rejoicing because he's going to die. So notice this personification of death as his enemy. And here it's this prayer of deliverance from his illness or what we're fairly sure to be an illness. Um, and so this prayer, this little section, this prayer gives us our second essential for doing sadness well. And that's pray with honesty. Pray with honesty. In general in our prayers, I, I think we tend to make our prayers rather wimpy. I see one of two things happen in prayers. Either someone will pray really vaguely. Have you ever heard this prayer? Um, Lord, help me for this thing I'm going through, Lord, to, to, to make it better and, and to make everything all right. What? <laughs> Nothing specific at all. I, 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 love those. I get those prayer requests fairly often. You know, I'm a pastor. They're like, hey, can you pray for me? And, and they'll say, hey, can you pray for this thing I'm going through? Okay, God help this thing happening. So I think one thing we do is sometimes we go vague. The other thing we do sometimes is we go super Christian. Lord, Heavenly Father, be with me. Lord, I, I place all my faith in you. It's by your blood and by your faith. I, I, I know this, this is just part of your glorious will. Okay, okay, let's, that's a little oversaved, okay? <laughs> let's get a little more honest. And chances are, by your laughter, you know someone who's a little oversaved here, and that's their style of prayer. Like, they could have just lost a leg to a shark bite. They go, Lord, Heavenly Father, I know this is part of your, your glorious will here. Okay, no. <laughs> For me to hobble around. No, okay. Let's pray with honesty. And you know what? That means you can be angry in your prayer. You can be sad in your prayer. You can blame God in your prayer. All of that is okay because you know what? You're still praying. Now, when we do all of that stuff with someone else, 
That's not helpful. <laughs> That's where, where we start sinking in and creating our own reality and things just go south quick. But when we do all of that with God, that keeps us connected to him. So I think when you're sad, whether you deny it or you go all emo, you need to be honest with God. So pray with honesty. So that's number two of our essentials of doing sadness well. Um, let's finish up with the third section. Our third section, and this is the most important. This is the most important of the whole thing. And out of those 60 lament psalms, every single one of them except one ends like this. Every single lament psalm except for one. That means 59 times authors end the same way. And it's with a statement of trust and praise. It's a statement of trust and praise. Okay? So listen to how the author finishes Psalm 13. But I trust in your unfailing love. He starts off, but I trust in your unfailing love. Okay, now here, I, I got to say, I love the, the word right there. This verse starts with, but. One of my favorite words in Scripture. If I ever write a book on interpreting Scripture, I'm going to call it, I like big butts. And I cannot lie. You know why? Because but means God's coming in. But means I'm going to stand on what I believe. But means I believe I'm going to state my faith boldly and land my life on it. Every time you see a but in Scripture, look for God coming in big ways. And that's why I love it. And that's why this section starts with but. Because you know what? If we were to write this, I think a lot of us would rewrite this, then I will trust your name. Do this stuff for me, God. Heal me of my illness, then I will trust your name. That's not what the author does. Notice this but is saying, it's okay if you don't deliver me from this. So it's okay if I stay sick. It's okay if I even die because I trust in your unfailing love. All right? That's why this is an amazing way to end a pretty miserable psalm. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing of the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Can you imagine that? This is a guy who just moments ago said, God, if you do not heal from me from my illness, I am going to die. And moments later, he can say, God, you have been good to me. Now, that is faith that is not dependent on circumstance. That is not a give and take faith from God. God, you kind of do things right by me, and then I'll trust you, and I'll believe you, and I'll be good, and I'll go to church and do all those things I'm supposed to do. Nah, that's not what this is. This is regardless of the problem, I will praise you. And that gives us our third essential, 
our third essential for doing sadness well, and that's trust in God's goodness. Trust in God's goodness. Because I think theologically speaking, when things go bad in our life, you know the first theological concept that usually goes? That God is good. Because if God is good, I wouldn't be sick. If God is good, I wouldn't be unemployed for a year. If God is good, my mom wouldn't have died. We make God's goodness conditional based on what happens around us. But this author does not. God's goodness stands despite what is happening in the world around us. And that's why this one is such a critical component of doing sadness well. You've got to trust God's goodness. Because no matter what is happening around you, God is still good. You might not understand it. He might not seem good. But he is still good. And the moment, the moment you let go of believing God's goodness, really easy to walk away believe something else abandon belief entirely we cannot particularly in times of sadness we cannot abandon God's goodness complain pray trust so I put it, I put it all together like this Complaint filtered through prayer results in trust. Complaint filtered through prayer results in trust. When we, we, when we don't put our complaints through prayer, that leads to anger. That leads to disbelief. That leads to resentment. But when we take our complaint and filter it through prayer, even angry prayer, but when we filter it through prayer, that leads to trust. And God is big enough for your complaints and your honesty. God is big enough for that. So, so remember the story of my mom? So here's a little picture of her here. And so um, there was a little more to that. So about four months after her passing, um, I was really missing her one night. And, and I started to cry. And I couldn't stop. And I'm not just like, I'm, I'm talking not just crying, crying. I am talking blubbering, snot-pouring crying. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're just a wreck. <laughs> and it was the first time since she passed that I had cried to that extent. And I would have given anything to hear her voice again. So I started looking through photos and pulled up a few videos. But none of that seemed to help. None of that helped. And... and I was starting to get tired 
like snot flowing crying is pretty exhausting. <laughs> I was getting tired, <laughs> so I was wanting to go to bed. And I was getting ready for bed. Um, a song came to mind, and, and if you're familiar with the song, it's Give Me Jesus. And for the sake of all of your ears, I won't sing it, but a few of the lyrics, Give Me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. And I started singing that, that chorus over and over and over again. And, and I was praying that God would meet me in my sleep with something. Something to say that he was there with me. And I fell asleep with Jesus' name on my lips. And, you know, I'd love to say that I had a dream with Jesus sitting next to me in the field of daisies. Or I woke up with this overwhelming peace. But, you know, all I woke up with was puffy eyes and a sore throat. All of that praying, all of that crying out to God didn't get me what I was crying out to God for. And in that moment, I had a decision to make. Was I going to base my view of God on what happened that night, his failure to meet me in the way I wanted to be met? Or was I going to continue on? And so I made the decision to say, but God is still good, but God is still with me, and but God still loves me. And that was kind of the beginning of me learning how to do sadness well. And it took God to sort of just wallop me into something that I never would have expected. But I came out of that months and years later with something so much more than a nice dream of Jesus. I came out with an understanding of how to be real with God and how to be honest and how to complain to God. Because remember, complaint filtered through prayer results and trust. And I believed that because I lived it over the course of about 10 hours. Complaint filtered through prayer results in trust.